Welcome to the sermon podcast of South Hills Church in Costa Mesa. My name is Chris Kretzu, and I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you for carving out the time to listen to this today. I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged, and ultimately that you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you. I'll be back after the message is over, but until then, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Well, good morning. How are you guys? Yeah, you guys awake? You guys ready to party? I like it. Uh, I think with all the Toy Story vibes, I should probably say something more along the lines of, hey, howdy, hey, or another... There's a few people that get it, okay? It's a Toy Story line, so it's kind of funny because Toy Story, it's been out for 25 years, uh, a little a little longer than that. So some of us, uh, when we were kids, we'd watch Toy Story. Uh, I, I wasn't like a, a totally young child, but I was still old enough to enjoy, and now I get to watch that with my kids. And we're talking about friendships. We're talking about what it looks like to be a friend, and, and these Pixar movies in general have the ability to be adorable and for kids and also break every parent's heart along the way. And this idea of friendship is a cute one. It is one that we love seeing in the movie Toy Story, but it's also a, a challenging one for a lot of us. And so we're going to be spending this month talking about what friendships are and uh, and. Um, you know, I grew up, most of my life was spent in church. My dad was a pastor. I was around church a lot and Sunday school and Bible studies and the whole thing. And I heard a lot of different messages and talks and, and sermons on the idea of friendship. And they were great. And they used a lot of really biblical ideas and principles. But so many of them, I felt like in my life, they were kind of just these pie in the sky ideas of this is what a friendship should be. So just hope that that's what you get, kind of an idea. And very uh, rarely was there an honesty about the challenge of friendship, about the intentionality that friendship takes, about what does it look like to live a life where you're really cultivating the right kinds of friendships. And so my hope is that over the next few weeks, we are actually able to address some really practical, true uh, experiences that many of us wrestle with in life, at whatever stage of life you're at, whether you're single or married or a parent or not a parent. Uh, we're going to be talking about all these different types of things. My name is Chris. I don't know if I said that. I'm the campus pastor here at South Hills Costa Mesa, and uh, we're a family of churches at South Hills. There's a number of South Hills churches, and, and we like this one, so we come here every week. Uh, also, you see this uh, baptismal tank up here. This morning, we had one person get baptized. It's something that she's been planning on doing for a while. Uh, at the end of service today, we're actually going to have an opportunity before we dismiss. If anybody today would like to take that step in their faith and get baptized, I want to invite you to do that. We have towels, and... Uh, we're ready for it. Uh, and so uh, baptism, uh, I'll give you guys just a, a brief idea, but baptism is something that we do for a few reasons. One is because Jesus was baptized and we want to follow the model that Jesus gave us. Uh, two, that Jesus actually told his disciples that one of their primary roles was to share the good news of who he was and baptize people in his name. And so we believe that baptism is, a, is an important step for us to obey what Jesus has called us to do. And then the third thing is all throughout the, the early church, every time that somebody had this uh, experience where they put their trust in Jesus, where they started to believe the way of Jesus and live a different life, it was always marked with them taking the step to get baptized. And so at South Hills, we believe that there's nothing necessarily magical about the water in this tank, but it's such a beautiful and important step for us to say, you know what, I'm living a different way than I used to. I want to mark, this is my old life, and today I'm starting a new chapter and moving into a new life following Christ. Does that make sense? 
Good answer. Uh, and so if you guys would like to take that step today, I, I want to make sure that's an op opportunity. So you can think about it, uh, and we're going to do it at the end of service before we dismiss, and, uh, and we'll go from there. So uh, we are uh, doing this series called You've Got a Friend in Me. Um, and a, a few months ago, we did a series where people could text in questions, and uh, we would try and answer those questions if we had time, uh, kind of a Q&A type of thing. I don't know if we're going to have time today, but I do want to give you guys the chance throughout this whole series, if you have questions about the specific topic or something related to this idea of friendship, would you send us a text? And, uh, and we would love to be able to get back with you, whether it's during the week, just individually, or whether it's something we talk about on a Sunday. So that is a phone number. It goes to a texting service that we have. Uh, you can text it anytime, day or night. Uh, it does not go to my phone, so it's not going to wake me up. So those 3 a.m., wake up, I have a question moments. Uh, this is a great opportunity. So you guys can take a picture of that or write down that number, and you can text at any point, even during the message. And um, I think that's all the announcements that I have. Man, I felt like a lot. We should just pray and kind of close it out. Uh, we're, uh, we're doing this series, and uh, I'm excited for it. And today, uh, I wanted to start off with something really encouraging and hopeful and chipper. And so the message title for today is called An Epidemic of Loneliness. Uh, just really, you know, start off strong. Uh, no, but this is a, a term that's actually been used pretty frequently over the last few years by a lot of sociologists and people that are kind of observing culture, not just in California, not just in the U.S., but really globally, is that loneliness is becoming an increasing issue. And I want to spend some time today, and, and today's message, I think, is an important one because it sets up a little bit of the context for what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. I want to give us like a little bit of a history of friendship you guys ever thought about like the history of friendship? Not like your history with your friends, but what has friendship looked like in the past? Where did it come from? What are the concepts that kind of shaped and formed? And so I think it's important for us to observe that so that we can see how friendships exist today in this culture, in this reality, uh, because we couldn't always just chat with our friends on Facebook. Uh, we couldn't just, uh, you know, message them on Instagram. We couldn't just send texts or whatever it is. There, there's been different things and different stages and ideas. And so I want to talk about that. So um, there's going to be a little bit of uh, maybe if, if, we're, if we're comfortable kind of splitting the difference between like teaching and preaching today, might, there might be a little bit more information today. But I really think that as we understand this, it actually will allow God to move in our hearts and help us to open up our perspective on what it could look like for us to develop healthy friends and to experience something that's able to combat the loneliness that so many people are missing or feeling in their lives. So we're going to go back about fourth century uh, before Christ was born. There was a man, not many people know him. His name was Aristotle. Uh, he didn't really do anything of note. Um, but his, uh, his perspective and kind of paradigm on friendship actually shaped uh, the Western kind of concept of friendship up until about 150, 200 years ago. His perspective was really uh, very influential. And, and he kind of broke friendships down into three different categories. And none of these are good or bad. They just are in his mind. And I want to look at those, th those three categories of friendships. The first one, uh, oh, that's Aristotle. Just, yep, you're welcome. Looks 
friendly. Uh, so the first one is utility friendships. Uh, a utility friendship is a friendship or a relationship with someone that uh, there's kind of a, you get something out of it. Uh, maybe it's someone that you work with and you realize that the, the more we get along, the more we get done. Or maybe it's someone that owns another business that you partner with and there's a sense of how we maintain things. It could just be people in your life. And, you know, as, as I keep this friendship with this person, I, I get something from them, they get something from me. And there's kind of an exchange uh, that happens, a shared purpose. It's mutually beneficial. Uh, the second category is entertainment friendships. Uh, that would be kind of today's idea of like a, a golfing buddy, someone you just call out. You don't, you're not necessarily deep with. Uh, you don't have a deep connection with. You may not know all that much about each other's lives, but you know you can count on them for a good time. When you guys hang out, you have fun. You, you enjoy doing things together. You may even go on trips together, but you still don't really have a necessarily like a, de a deep relationship. The third relationship category that he talked about is what he called virtue friendships. Virtue friendships weren't built around any sort of circumstances or activity. A virtue friendship wasn't based on, if I am a friend with you, I get a benefit from it. And it wasn't based on this idea of, because I'm friends, I get to have fun experiences. Virtue friendships, uh, they weren't a means to an end, they were the end in itself. It was the point of the friendship, was just the friendship. They were committed through good times and, and bad times and highs and lows and, and over long periods of time. Virtue friendships, uh, the value was the friendship itself. It was nothing else attached to it. And I think these three categories really define most relationships that we have in our lives. If we're honest, we can probably all think of a, a handful of names that would fall into those first two categories. And again, it's not necessarily a bad thing. But a lot of us may struggle to think of, well, who would I put in that third category? A, I've never thought of a virtue friend before. Uh, but who would I put in that category of someone that we are just deep friends? It's built on nothing beneficial other than just the value of our friendship. And, and some of us may have those. But as I have been studying and kind of preparing for this series over the last month or so, what I've realized is that most of us don't. If you have someone in that category, or maybe a few people in that category, you are in a very small minority of people in the world. So many of us are surrounded by people, friends, coworkers, acquaintances, whatever kind of category you want to put in it, but we still feel this sense of loneliness, and we long to be friends. We long to have that. I remember I was about eight years old, and one of my friends uh, for Christmas, um, he had gotten the Nerf... Uh, Sonic Stinger Bow and Arrow. It was the very first Nerf Bow and Arrow, and I was a Nerf kid. It was Nerf or nothing all my life. Uh, so uh, I loved it. We went over. There was other friends at his house, and, and everybody was playing, and I was just obsessed with this bow and arrow. I wouldn't stop playing with this thing, and everybody was like, well, we're going out to the trampoline or whatever. He was one of those kids that had everything that I didn't have, essentially. And I was like, yeah, trampolines are cool, but this is the Sonic Stinger. Uh, this was just released, brand new model. So I stayed inside by myself playing this thing, and about five minutes later, I broke it, and I was terrified. Uh, so I did what any healthy, normal person would do, is I buried it in the back of his closet under a pile of other junk, and I never told him to this day. And this is my confession. Uh, not in an usher way. That's weird. Usher. Uh, uh, but, uh, but I was terrified in that moment because I, I really was under the impression of, like, we're friends for... Uh, reasons 
I'm saying this backwards. Me doing something wrong, me making a mistake will end our friendship. Me blowing it, me breaking this thing, this is going to be the end of this friendship. And, and many of us would say, well, that's not really that much of a friendship at all then, is it? Because everybody makes mistakes. But that's the way most of our friendships are. They're hanging on by a thread. How many chances do you give someone after they hurt you? A lot of our friendships are, well, as long as it's beneficial for me, as long as we're having a good time, then we can stay friends. But at some point, if you're not kind of checking those boxes, then what's the point of it? The point is friendship, the connection over time through highs and lows and thick and thin. We all love this idea. And there's a lot of scriptures that talk about the value of friendship and what types of friends to have. The book of Proverbs has so many of them. And, and one of the ones that we're probably most familiar with is Proverbs 17, 17. It says, a friend loves at all times, even when you break their Nerf bow and arrow. And a brother is born for time of adversity. There's a sense of consistency. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. There's this piece of, of recognizing that these deep friendships, they exist almost just for difficult times. When you face adversity, that's almost the point of having those types of deep friendships and connections. But how do we find that? How do we cultivate it? How do we maintain old friends and, and build new friends? So these sociologists have been increasingly concerned with what they're calling this loneliness epidemic. And just as a, a side note, loneliness is not the same thing as being alone. Loneliness and being alone are different. Being alone is something that weirdos like. Uh, no, introverts love being alone, and that's okay. We love them for it. We all should have time when we choose to be alone. We talked about that a few weeks ago, solitude and, and silence and just allowing our, our hearts and our minds and our spirits space to kind of breathe a little bit. Loneliness can exist in your life when you're surrounded by people, when you're surrounded by friends in your office place, you're, you're surrounded by other people, even here at church in a community that you've decided you want to be a part of, you could be here sitting in this room surrounded by other people and still feel a sense of loneliness. Loneliness and being alone are different. There's a lot of different things that have fueled loneliness, but researchers all agree that it's become a defining characteristic of the 21st century. It's having a, a very real and measurable impact on our health as humans. Last year, the former Surgeon General called loneliness a growing health epidemic. Not a relationship problem, a health epidemic, which feels like a stretch. But again, as I've been reading and researching, it is crazy to see some of this information that I have found. Across the U.S., the U.K., and Australia, the rate of loneliness among 15-year-olds specifically is on the rise. And even before the pandemic, one in five 15-year-olds claimed to have no friends at all. And if you're older than 15, I know that you must be like me and think it was never easier to make friends than when you were 15. When you were younger, now there's no time, no capacity, no energy to be able to, to, to do this. Another survey found that half of all Americans feel alone, and 54% uh, of Americans said that they always feel that no one knows them well. Over half of the people in our country always feel 
like no one knows them well. Maybe it's a utility friendship. Maybe they've got some entertainment friendships. But over half of us are able to say, I don't, I don't think that anybody knows me well. I don't know that I have any of that third category of friendship. One of the things that is a little bit silly but sad at the same time, there should be a word for that, right? Like those things, it's like, I don't know that I should laugh at this, but it's just hard to believe. I'm shooting myself in the foot. In Japan, the number of senior citizens being put in prison has quadrupled over the last 20 years. One article says that the elderly are committing minor offenses in order to escape the solitude of their homes for the company of fellow prisoners. People are committing sins to actually, or <laughs> breaking laws. <laughs> Once a pastor, always a pastor. Uh, they're breaking laws to get put in prison so they can have relationships, so they can be around people. The number has quadrupled over the last 20 years. Um, the physical health impacts, and that's what people are saying. The Surgeon General articulated it as a health epidemic. Loneliness produces all kinds of issues. Uh, it triggers the fight or flight hormones in our minds. Uh, and as a result, our cholesterol, blood pressure, cortisol levels all rise. And it creates a lasting effect on your body. Lonely people are 32% more likely to have a stroke. 29% more likely to experience heart disease, and 64% more likely to develop clinical dementia. Statistically speaking, they found that loneliness is the equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Uh, it's crazy. It's not just, oh, it would be nice to have friends. We were created. We were designed to have friendships, and not just people to have fun with, but to have deep meaningful relationships, yet half of us would say we don't have anybody that knows us deeply. So many of us would struggle with this idea of, I just don't, I just feel alone. I have friends. I have people. I live in a house full of people. I have, but I just feel alone. I feel lonely. So many of us struggle with this. It's not a generational problem. Both old and young suffer it's not a COVID problem, although isolation has definitely exacerbated it. It's something that people suffer from on their own. But the concern is it's actually becoming what they're calling a collective state of being. Like we are just a lonely people. You guys hopeful yet? So the main point that I really want us to hear today, I'll give it to you now and I'm going to talk for a few more minutes. The main thing that I really want us to hear today is that if you're here today and you feel lonely, you are not alone in your loneliness. You are not weird or messed up in a unique way that makes you alone. So many people are wrestling with this, and it is okay, and I might even say it's good for you to acknowledge that some of what you're wrestling with is that you feel lonely. And some of us feel shame saying that because we have a spouse or we have friends or we have kids or we, everything, else, everything else is perfect in my life. And I just don't, it feels like it would be selfish for me to say I just feel lonely. But it's a very real thing with very real impacts. And not only are you not alone, but you are not meant to be this way. And I really believe that there are ways to find these deep relational connections in our lives. The first negative word said about humanity in the scripture, it's not actually about our sin. It's about being alone. 
The creation poem in Genesis 1 is punctuated six times. God makes the earth. God fills the seas. He puts the stars in the sky. And six times God stops and says, it is good. And then one time he stops and he says, it is very good. And then in Genesis 2, we, we continue reading and the subject of relationship is brought up. And verse 18, it says that the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone is not good for the man to be alone. He identifies there is a problem with the way this currently is. And I think it's fascinating to me as I've kind of thought through this, because we usually hear this in, the, in relation to marriage, a husband and wife, or you know, people that are committing their lives together forever. But he's articulating it's, just, it's not good for man to be alone, period. And God was there. We read later on that God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. It's not like God had uh, removed himself from a relationship, but there was this human necessity for connection that was missing. And then God identified that and recognized there's something else we need to do here. So it says he makes a helper suitable for him. I think that we know in our gut that it's not good for us to be alone. Those words we all can affirm whether you're three years old or 93 years old, it's not good to be alone. Some of us, even the introverts in the room, you want someone in your life. You want someone you can count on, that deep connection, someone who knows you well. You're not alone in your loneliness, and you're not meant to be alone. So uh, the ancients viewed friendship as um, this really powerful thing. They actually, uh, in all these ancient articles, you find them writing, and Aristotle wrote about this. He said that friendship, love, was the highest form of love, this virtue friendship. It was more important than a romantic love. It was more important than a a love between a husband and a wife. The friendship love was the one that was elevated, and, and people sought after more than any other type of friendship. The church, over the years, started to call this virtue friendship. They, they renamed it as spiritual friendships. And they would actually have what they would call brothering ceremonies between friends who wanted to kind of, you know, you like, you know, pinky promise when you're a kid, like, we'll be friends forever. Well, there was like adults that would be like, we want to commit to this friendship. We take it very seriously. And so there would be these ceremonies that they would do. Other people over time have called it intimate friendships. It's different than friends with benefits, okay? An intimate friendship, this word intimate is one that we really kind of associate with a physical relationship. But the definition of intimacy is familiar, close, private, or personal. An intimate friendship isn't about a physical relationship. It's about a a depth of knowing someone. So there's these three specific marks that Aristotle talked about, and and we'll just look at these briefly because I think it's helpful for us to understand why friendship was valued so much. These three specific marks of a, a virtue friendship or that deepest level of friendship. The first one is a covenant, which is essentially a relational commitment. He said a virtue friendship, these deepest friendships, they were committed to each other regardless of what came. You know what other relationships we're familiar with that have covenants? Marriage. And we say things like, through sickness and in health, till death do us part, all, all these types of things. It's this committed regardless of. This is what these deep friendships held, and they were valued above every other relationship. The second one is growth. 
the two friends, they, they decided that we're going to be friends and we're actually going to see the best come out of each other. We're going to help each other become who we truly want to be. Again, this ties directly in with something that I hear from every man and woman that I see get married. They say, you have made me a better person, and I want to walk that journey with you and help you. There is this commitment that comes. There's a growth that comes. And then the third one is impact. They would articulate that these virtue friendships shaped the fabric of society. They were good. They shaped the moral. They made an impact on the world around them. All three of these terms and these ideas are really something that at this point we primarily think of as something you find in marriage. We don't really think about these things specifically in our friendships. Our friendships are for fun. Our friendships are for things that we are able to, to benefit from, mutually beneficial things. But there is this depth of relationship that we were created to have in our friendships. Part of the reason why... Uh, intimate friendship was viewed or, or virtue friendship was viewed as the highest form of love is because they didn't expect to find that type of intimacy or friendship in their marriage. For a long time, marriages happened because there was trades being uh, made and, and contracts and, and these relationships were just a part of what that looked like. Um, and it wasn't until uh, really not that long ago that people started to pursue marriage because they loved someone or they wanted to be in a relationship. So people at the time, they would get married to someone, but they didn't plan on having any real connection with them. And so that friendship was something that they pursued with other people, that deep connection. And we still see echoes of that today. I've talked to so many people who said, we're married, but we're not friends. We live together. We raise kids together, but I don't really know that they know me. I don't feel known. These are all things that we hear these echoes from. And it's not that you should have friends that aren't, it's not that you need to separate uh, a spouse from a friendship, but this friendship love should exist inside of a marriage as well. It should exist outside of marriages, and it should also be something that we find in marriages. Over the last couple hundred years, this has shifted a lot. Uh, well, before I get there, I want to just draw one more attention to um, this example of this virtue friendship or this intimate friendship um, between King David and Jonathan. It's oftentimes pointed at as an example of friendship in the Bible. Um, their friendship was incredibly close. You can read about it in a lot of different spaces. And I think it's most clearly seen when Jonathan dies and David is grieving and mourning. And in 2 Samuel 1, David says this, I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. Which, again, is, is a verse that many of us read, and it's like, oh, that's interesting. That's an, I don't know that I would articulate that about my friendships. But there's a sense, I mean, as a footnote, David had eight different wives and a lot of concubines. So women, plural, is appropriate in this context. But there's a sense that what David is articulating is all of this closeness and this physical intimacy and these other types of relationships, none of them come close to the depth of connection that I have with my friend. There's something that we have together that is crucial, and he grieves that in a, real, a really uh, pointed way. So relationships and marriage has shifted over the last few hundred years. This isn't a, a sermon about marriage, I promise. It's about friendship. Uh, and I, and I, also, for the record, I think marriage is great, um, as if you're out there somewhere. Uh, 
But I think that one of the challenges is that things, you know, dating as a concept that we're somewhat familiar with started around the 1920s and there was no Tinder or anything like that. It still looked very different. But this idea of pursuing people that you liked, that you were connected with, that you had a, some sort of uh, admiration or love for is a relatively new idea. And then over time, what started to come out is what I call and what others call the myth of the one. This idea that there is one perfect soulmate out there for me, and I have to pursue that person, otherwise I will be missing something for the rest of my life. This myth, and I could talk about that for an hour, but I won't, so if you have questions, you can text the screen. But this myth, it changed the way that we viewed friendship because of believing, instead of believing that we could find this depth of connection in humans, like God created us to, that fullness could only come if we happen to discover the one out of eight billion people. And so friendship started to take this kind of backseat, this secondary status over this pursuit of one person that could bring me a sense of wholeness or fullness or rightness. And I'm not trying to diminish marriage at all. I absolutely am for it. And friendship should be at the foundation of it. But what happened over time is we started to just view friends as acquaintances or things that we would use to help us get to a place where we could start our life as a married couple or as a parent or whatever it is. And that's not the way it was designed. We're designed to have these deep connections. I think that it's crucial for those of us that are married or want to be married that we pursue friendship and we build that friendship and that deep trust. Research shows over and over again that the strongest marriages are the couples that have close friends outside of their marriage. They don't rely just on their spouse to be their only friend. And I think husbands, generally speaking, um, fall into that category of people that we really just rely on our spouse to be that one friendship for us. And, and there's a lot of weight that we're putting on one person, and no one person can carry that weight. It's crucial. And it's important for us to know that for people that don't really want to be married, that you can have a depth of relationship. It, you don't have to be married to be a whole person. That God moves through humans, connections, and relationships in really powerful ways. We'll talk more about that later on. So uh, I'm, I want to make sure I get to the, the end here appropriately. I think instead of cultivating these deep friendships and these loving friendships, we often find ourselves just kind of settling for acquaintances. We don't recognize the need for those virtue friendships, that third category. But we're not alone in our loneliness. There's so many people that are wrestling with that, and we're not meant to be lonely. If you are single or married or somewhere in between, if you truly don't have any relationships, or maybe if you just feel alone in the middle of those relationships, there is hope and there is purpose. Jesus talked about friendship in John 15, but I think that we kind of mistakenly take his words as a, a metaphor. Like that's a really poetic way of talking about how much we like each other. In John 15, Jesus says, there is no greater way to love than to give your life for your friends. Thank you, Andre. Not spouse. He's talking about there, there's a relationship, there is a value that we find in friendship. There's no greater way to love than to give your life for your friends. You celebrate our friendship if you obey this command. 
He's talking to the disciples in this moment. He says, I don't call you servants any longer. Servants don't know what the master is doing, but I've told you everything the father has said to me. Let's read this last time line together. I call you friends. Now, almost exclusively, the only place I hear people talk about the fact that God is our friend is in our children's ministry. And it's true in our children's ministry. Jesus wants to be your friend forever. But it's not just true for children. God wants to be your friend. Jesus desires a friendship. And when you look back, and we don't have time to go back and look at all of it, but when you look at this covenant relationship, this commitment between friends, it says regardless of high or low or mistakes or strengths, I'm going to be with you. Jesus is that friend. Jesus models that friendship in the way that he gives his life for us. And this idea of seeing someone grow and transform and become the best version of themselves that that we find in this virtue friendship, Jesus is that friend who stands beside us and guides us and teaches us and, and invites us to grow and become who we always really long to be, but maybe we're afraid that we can't be that person. There is this reality aspect after aspect of of the reality of friendships that Jesus is able to fulfill in our lives. We have a friend in our Heavenly Father. We have this relationship, this connection, and it's modeled for us in the way that Jesus ultimately lays down his life for us, his friends. It's so important for us to use this as a model and as an understanding for the way that friendships are to be valued. We need to pursue friendships in our relationships. It's like a a stacking egg. You have relationships and you need to pursue the friendship in that. In your marriage, you need to cultivate and pursue a deep friendship in your marriage and outside of your marriage. And for those of us that aren't married, we need to pursue friendships with this belief that I don't have to be married to be whole or to find a deep connection, but there is goodness and health and wholeness that can come in singleness because of the way that God designed us to have friendships. And I think some of us may struggle with this idea of Jesus calling us friend and being our friend, but I'm reminded of one of the insults that people of Jesus' day, the religious leaders, would throw at him. The way they would try and talk bad about him is the gift for us. They would say, that guy, he's the friend of sinners. He's hanging out with all the wrong people. So there's this invitation for us to embrace this reality that Jesus is the friend of sinners. That He draws close to us. And in this way that he models a friendship for us and even calls us to be willing to lay our lives down for our friends, this is the type of friendship that we're called to pursue. It's not just friendships that have some sort of utilitarian benefit or just people that we have fun with, but to develop some deep, connected friendships that help us grow and become who God's called us to become. So... It's important for you to know that you are not alone in your loneliness. It's important for you to know that you are not meant to be lonely. We're going to spend the next few weeks talking about some of these things. How do I even find time to be a friend? I'm real busy. I don't have a lot of energy or time or resources or whatever. So what does that even look like? 
Uh, we're going to talk about forgiveness and what does it look like to actually forgive people that you're close with. Because so many of us, when we're hurt by people that we're close with, it's a deep wound and we just immediately put walls up and it hurts our relationships. We're going to talk about uh, how to be a good friend to people. We're going to be talking about some of these things. But today, I want us just to start off by taking an inventory. That sounds fun, right? I want us to ask a couple questions about the friendships, the relationships that we have. And again, utility friends, entertainment friends, and virtue friends, none of these are necessarily bad. They all just are. And so you all have paper and pens on your seats, so you have a phone or whatever it is, and you don't have to submit this paper to anybody. It's not a test or anything. But I want us to take a minute. The band's going to come up. We're going to sing another song in just a second here. But I want us to take a moment to kind of just think through the relationships that we have in our lives. Who would you put, maybe it's one name, maybe there's a few you can think of, but what names would you put under that utility friend category? Someone that you have a relationship with, you wouldn't necessarily you're really say you're deep friends with them, but there's a benefit in the friendship. There's something that you both get out of that. Maybe it's a, a colleague or a coworker or there's some sort of, you know, yeah, it's good to have this person as a friend because I have someone to go to lunch with at work or whatever the scenario is. A utility friend. Think of a name or two that would fall into that category. The second one is who's someone that would fall into that category of the entertainment friend. This is someone that uh, you have a lot of fun with, that you enjoy being around. Uh, you may have plans in your calendar to hang out with this person soon. Um, but maybe there's just not a lot of depth. They don't really know you well. And maybe they would be surprised at some of the things that are going on in your life. You have a lot of fun, and that's great. It's not a bad thing. But who is it that would fall into that type of category? And then the third category is Aristotle calls it this virtue friend. As the early church called it, would be a spiritual friend. Do you have someone that really knows you? Someone that you have a sense in your heart and in your mind that this person is my friend because we're friends. Not because it's fun, although it can be. Not because there's some sort of mutual benefit that they get by being my friend. But the pursuit of this friendship in and of itself is what matters. And you may not have a name that you're able to write in that category. Maybe you do. But what I want us to think through is just the way that we are able to, to process this word friend that actually has so many different categories underneath it. And we can begin to intentionally pursue and ask God to help us find the friendships that we need. If you don't have someone that you can write down under this virtue friend or the spiritual friend category, just one last thought is maybe there's an acquaintance or maybe there's someone in those first two categories that with some intentionality, they could actually become one of those friends. They could actually step into that space. It's so crucial for us to begin to think through this because half of us feel like nobody knows us well. And it's not going to accidentally get better. You are not the only one that's lonely. You are not meant to be lonely. And you don't have to stay that way. There's a path forward. And there's no better way to explore that path than in a church family, a church community. Um, and I hope that you'll take those steps along with each one of us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father.
Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized, or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa, and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today, and I hope that I get to see you soon.